Okay, so um, I recorded this podcast this morning, or when this comes out, it will be yesterday morning. Um, before any of the trade stuff broke, I thought about just letting it be and um, not dealing with it because I was at work all day. But I got home. I figured I'll just add on um, to the front of this just a couple of minutes about the two trades that the Pistons made. And uh, just so you know, I will talk about, you know, theoretical trade things for a very brief amount of time. Most of the podcast is about Blake Griffin and everything with that, so that's why I'm not going to bother to re-record it or anything. But since it happened, I figure may as well talk about it just a little bit. So um, first trade, Jameer Nelson in return for uh, for Willie Reed and the rights to swap second-round picks. So essentially the Pistons, they gave up Willie Reed, who they weren't really going to use anyways, as I understand it. Um, which if, especially if they really are going to go all the, all in on Blake Griffin at backup center would make sense. They don't have a lot of use for him. Um, that's the case. Then basically they gave up, they may have a lower second round pick than they would have otherwise. So they essentially gave up nothing, um, and got Jameer Nelson back. Uh, I mean, to be clear, they could have made that move for a toaster. And if it had a lifetime warranty, that wouldn't have been a bad move. Like, the rights to swap second-round picks, that's that's nothing. So, you know, even if Jameer Nelson does literally nothing, it won't be that big of a deal. But I do think that that could end up being a really decent thing. Um, Jameer Nelson is, I mean, he's old, but he's the sort of point guard where, and you've seen it at the last several of his stops, he's the sort of point guard that he just makes your offense work. Um, he's a guy who, I guess the best comparison right now that I would make would be Imagine Langston Galloway, if Langston Galloway was able to do more of the sort of basic point guard things, um, you know, to not drag him down so much. Like, Langston Galloway is a good shooter, and um, but the problem is that he just, he doesn't quite have enough point guard skills to really make on offense hum. So if you do the whole motion offense thing and whatnot, or there's not someone else out there to create looks, the offense can get really, really stale very quickly with Galloway on the floor. Um... That's not the case with uh, Jameer Nelson. Obviously, at 35, he's almost 36. Obviously, at his age, he's not exactly penetrating all over the place and drawing help or anything like that. But he can do. He has all of the basic point guard skills to do those things, and he's that good of a shooter. Um, like Jameer Nelson, long history of this dude can freaking shoot the ball. And when you have a guy who can really shoot the ball and has a certain base amount of competency at other things, it just it makes your offense run. And so with that, I would not be... My guess is he'll play the backup point guard minutes until Reggie Jackson comes back. Um, I would guess on Ishmith's keeping in place, but truthfully, I would not be totally shocked if Jameer Nelson ends up supplanting Ishmith for this, the rest of the season at some point. Um, I'd still guess Ishmith will stay in his place, but I just I would not be totally shocked if Jameer Nelson did that. And beyond that, his play on the court, Jameer Nelson is pretty well regarded as being uh, just a great guy, great veteran presence, great locker room person and whatnot. Um, I know Stan Van Gundy has regularly cited Nelson as being one of his favorite guys to coach that he's ever had. So, you know, that's worth something, uh, especially after... I'm, and this is something that some people brought up, is that, you know, Tobias Harris, Boba Marjanovic, both really popular guys in the locker room, people like them a lot, good leaders, um, even Avery Bradley, even though he was here for a shorter amount of time, um, so adding a guy like Jameer Nelson certainly can't hurt that, 
And once again, even if he never plays and all he is is that veteran presence, the reality is you may end up with a lower second round pick. So that's not that's not a huge deal. Anyways, um, and if he ends up actually playing a bit and he plays well, then that's more than worth it. Uh, so, yeah, that's obviously it's not a big move, but it's a good one. I'm totally fine with it. Uh, and I think there's a good chance he really helps. He's not, he's obviously, he's not a good defender. He's 35. But I think that offensively, he's a guy who really can just make your, he can, I think he can move the needle offensively, particularly for the bench unit. Um, the other trade, of course, was the Pistons sent Bryce Johnson and a second round pick to the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I believe, so I need to make sure that I get this right. I believe that um, the Pistons have two second-round picks in whichever... I, I, don't, I don't know if they've even officially said which years, but I think they have two second-round picks. One of them can now be swapped with the Bulls, and um, then the other one will be going to Memphis, and the, so the Pistons will still have a second-round pick. But regardless, um, they sent a second-round pick in Bryce Johnson. Um, Bryce Johnson is a guy who... Um, you know, it's funny, I was actually working on, uh, meet Bryce Johnson post, um, and when this all happened just now, which, you know, obviously kind of, um, I'm going to bring up James Ennis's stats a sec, um, which kind of sucks, but, you know, the reality is Bryce Johnson, he only had one more year on his contract, and he probably wasn't going to bust into the rotation, uh, certainly not this year. Um, he would have been a long shot to bust in later as well. He's just, he's a tricky fit. And just given the way the Pistons are set up, it would have been hard for him to do so. Uh, he wasn't, he's not a total nothing. Like Willie Reed, I think, was actually a nothing. If you're going to play Blake Griffin at the backup five minutes, then Willie Reed is nothing. There's really no reason, I other than just insurance in case you decide you don't want to have Blake Griffin play the backup center minutes, um, which, you know, is worth something, I guess. But other than that, Willie Reed's not doing anything. He's not a long-term piece. Bryce Johnson is at least a very small something, and it is very small, but he is a small something in that regard. Uh, he's not totally useless. Uh, and then the second-round pick. Um, and James Ennis is a good player. I, I'm, I'm excited the Pistons got him. Really, the only worry that I have with that move is that um, essentially just like on principle, I'm a little bit hesitant to, uh, what would be the right word? To I'm a little hesitant to give up a pick for a guy who may be a rental, unless you think that that rental is someone who can push you over the edge as far as a contender. And I'm pretty sure James Ennis is not that. And once again, it's a second-round pick. The Pistons will ha have another second-round pick in the draft, so it will be, like, it's not a huge cost. But one of the things I've talked about, and I think I talk about later in this podcast even, is that a trick for the Pistons is going to be um, finding cheap contract guys who can be rotation players. And even if it's kind of a long shot, a second-round pick is a chance to do that. And if James Ennis ends up not being a guy who they can retain long-term um, for even, like, another season, which is there's a pretty good chance that's the case, he'll be an unrestricted free agent. The Pistons will only be able to offer him around $4 million a year. 
Uh, so there's a pretty good chance he ends up being able to move on. I mean, he's going to move on, and the Pistons couldn't keep him. If that's the case, then it would be a little bit of a bummer that they gave up a chance to get, you know, I mean, particularly with, like, second-round picks, it's a crapshoot, and you gave up a chance to try and get someone useful in that crapshoot um, for, you know, what, 30, 40 games of a useful player, but that's it. And so that's the only thing I don't like about it. But beyond that, I really like it for the most part. James Ennis is a good shooter. Um, He's a career 37% three-point shooter. There's not a huge sample size because his first few years in the league, um, he didn't do a whole lot. Well, I guess really first two years in the league, he didn't play a ton. Um, But, you know, so not a huge sample size, but he's... It's large enough that I'm pretty confident he's a good shooter. Uh, he's also a pretty good athlete. He's got enough size that he can play either forward position. He's he's more of a small forward than a power forward for sure. But you can play him at power forward and it can like sort of work. Um, I it gives the Pistons a better option uh, to play with more size on the floor, and also gives them something closer to. Uh, a bigger wing defender when Stanley Johnson is unavailable, whether it's because you want more shooting on the floor over Stanley Johnson or it's because, you know, Stanley Johnson is in foul trouble or whatever. Ennis is certainly not a particularly great defender or anything like that, but he's got sort of the base physical tools and profiles that he can hold up a little bit better against really good offensive players if he has to. Once again, he's not going to lock anybody down, but um, as they were, if Stanley Johnson wasn't able to take someone, the Pistons were pretty often in trouble. Um, they've got at least another guy who can do a somewhat respectable job in that aspect now, which is good. Um, you know, so I don't know. If the Pistons end up being able to keep him around, like even if it's just another year on, you know, something not far above the vet minimum. So let's just say, just for example, say they do a... Uh, a Reggie Bullock contract with him, two years, five million for the next couple of years, then I have no problems at all with this trade. Uh, But if he ends up walking, it's just, it's tough to give up a draft pick for a guy who's a rental, even if it's a second rounder. Um, So, yeah, mostly though, I like both the trades. I think it fills some holes. Um, The biggest things that we know that we've learned from this is the Pistons are all in on Blake Griffin playing the back at five minutes. Uh, which I'm mostly good with, personally. And, um, you know, I think that they added some good depth. I think they're a better team now than they were before. And, yeah, so I'm really excited to see both of those these guys show up and get some playing in. Um, I think James Ennis will be a really good asset, and Jameer Nelson will help until Reggie Jackson comes back, at least. So, um, yeah. And that's all I'll say about that, and then we'll go. it'll go into the rest of the podcast after this, obviously. And uh, mostly it's talking about Blake Griffin. So I'll say a couple of things about, you know, well, this is what I think might happen with the trade deadline. But um, you could just kind of ignore that. Mostly I'll talk about Blake Griffin and everything else. So, yeah, you can get right into that then. Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I'm Joe. I'm your host. I'm back from vacation. Um, It was a kind of crazy one. I was uh, down in Fort Myers, Florida, and it was like, what? probably the second night I was there, maybe even the first night that I got down there that this trade happened. 
Um, I was sitting at a restaurant called Ford's Garage, and it all my phone started to blow up, and they had a TV on. I looked up, and it was like boom, breaking news, and it was, uh, it was kind of, it was pretty stupefying. Um, it was stupefying for a lot of people, just kind of mind-boggling. But it's particularly for me because I'm seen in this restaurant in Florida and suddenly the Pistons have completely changed their team. So, yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Um, one thing that I just want to note before we get into everything is that I am recording this in the morning. It'll probably come out the next, the next morning. Um, so I'm recording this on Thursday morning. So this will probably come out Friday morning. Uh, I was going to do it normal and such, but it just I wanted to just get it up. So I said, screw it. We're just going to do it now. Um, but so there's a chance, obviously the trade deadline is coming right up. So there's a chance, I actually think that it may, is, I think today may be the last day. So there's a chance that some trades could happen. I'd be surprised if the Pistons partook of any, but there's a chance some trades could happen that would change some things up. So if it does, I apologize. Um, I guess I'll just start off with that real quick that I don't really think the Pistons are likely to make another move. Um, certainly not one of significance. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if um, they maybe did something for another power forward, to be honest, which is weird, which is weird, but um, just because right now Anthony Tolliver's if they're going to play Blake Griffin at the backup center minutes, I think it wouldn't be a terrible thing to get another power forward who could play, um, or just in general forward, really. If they got another combo forward, essentially, I think that would not be a bad thing, um, but we'll talk more about that later. But mostly, I just I don't see another big trade coming for the Pistons. Um, once again, I wouldn't be shocked if they made a minor move, just because you know that this front office they're always talking to people, they're always investigating things. But I wouldn't be I so I wouldn't be shocked if they did something minor. But I'm guessing that they probably won't do anything else. Uh, they made their big move. I think that they like where they're gonna be and they're gonna go with it. And also just the fact that. After trading Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris, it's not abundantly clear. They they don't really have any movable assets that they would really want to move, I don't think. Because it's pretty clear they don't want to let Luke Kennard go, and they don't want to let Stanley Johnson go. Uh, the Clippers tried to get either of those two from the Pistons, and the Pistons said, nope, not going to do it. So it that says to me, and most of the people who are connected with the team have made it pretty clear that they don't feel that Stanley Johnson or Luke Kennard are going anywhere at this point. Um, so it just, I don't think that it's going to happen. Um, so yeah, so we're going to pretty much just talk about Blake Griffin and the trade and everything about it. So uh, first off, and I've said this a couple other places, but overall, I like the trade. Uh, it has risk for sure. But I mostly, I like it. I'm of the opinion, more or less, which is mostly for what it's worth. It's what Stan Van Gundy said in the uh, press conference. And also Jeff Bauer said it too. But that, you know, there are risks involved. He's paid a ton of money. He's got some injury history. Uh, he's though His age is something that is a little overblown, I think. But he's, he's not 22. Uh, but, you know, I think when you have a chance to add a guy of that caliber you do it, and that's just, you say, we don't care, I mean, he's had some injury problems, but it's not like he's completely been destroyed by injuries, like, I mean, he's missed a lot of games, but it's not like he's repeatedly torn an ACL or something like that, so when he's on the floor, he's that caliber player, 
And you say, you know what, maybe he'll miss too many games to be worth it. Uh, maybe he will be just too expensive. It'll hamper the rest of the team too much, etc. That may all happen, but you get a chance to add a guy like that, you do it. And that's that, which I'm totally for. And they managed to do it without giving up either of their best young assets and Luke Kennard and Stanley Johnson. And, you know, so like Avery Bradley, and I will still, I will forever hang my hat on that. He was not a bad player. A lot of people pointed to him as the source of what the Pistons' problems were. I really, I really do not think that was the case. Uh, but I do think he was replaceable. I was already, even before the season, I was a little bit hesitant about paying him a lot of money this offseason, uh, which, you know, maybe he won't even get at this point, but we'll see. Uh, I just, I, I was hesitant about him a little bit even before the season, but he was a good player who helped the team. And uh, Tobias Harris, obviously, great guy, really good player. He'd improved quite a bit in his time with the Pistons, uh, but also not irreplaceable. Um, and also another guy who's likely going to be getting a pay raise uh, after next season, which was going to be something you had to look at. So I'd say overall it's a good trade. Uh, the only downside people have, in a lot, everyone's pretty much brought it up, they gave up a first-round pick. That's always a little bit rough, but the reality is even if, right, obviously they've won five straight, even if they start to go down and they don't make the playoffs this year, they're not, they just, and even before, they were never going to fall way all the way down to the standings. At best, they will be, at worst, they're giving up a late lottery pick. And the reality is, once again, late lottery picks aren't going to be Blake Griffin. <laughs> uh, if they, it so it's it sucks, but that's the reality. That That's what you give up. And the other thing to note is that, so they gave a second-round pick. I'm pretty sure that they have two second-round picks this off, this um, this off in this draft. So they'll still have a second-round pick. Once again, that's not a lot of value, but it's something so they will still have a chance to potentially get a cheap guy who could play. I'm not saying that it's likely. They haven't hit on any of their second-round picks yet. But, well, I mean... I guess they you could say that they kind of hit on Spencer Dinwiddie since he's become a player, but that's another thing. Uh, but they'll have a chance to do it, basically. So overall, I like the trade. But with that said, and we'll get into why I like it more, there is one thing I'd like to say is that in wake of the five-game winning streak, obviously with Blake Griffin, they're 4-0, is that I've seen a lot of people who are sort of making fun of all the people who are saying it's not a good trade, His it's a bad trade, the Clippers won the trade, et cetera, et cetera. I've seen a lot of people saying that um, and sort of poking fun at those people because it's like, look at we're winning games now. And I'd just like to clarify something that for the most part, at least, as far as people who are actually worth listening to that were not necessarily huge fans of the trade are is that people are not are not down on it because they think Blake Griffin isn't going to make the Pistons a much better team right now. Uh, I I think there are, there's at least a few people who are kind of saying that. I was surprised to hear Zach Lowe in his article say that he didn't think the Pistons would make the playoffs. Like, because he's like, well, they're three games out of ninth, out of eighth place. That's just I didn't. That's not that far. I think I think that as long as they're healthy, they should make the playoffs. But that's another thing altogether. But. By and large, people were not knocking the trade because they did, They thought the Pistons weren't a better team now. 
pretty much everybody agrees. The Pistons are a much better team now than they were before. Blake Griffin is better than Tobias Harris. Shocking news. Avery Bradley was good, but he didn't help that much, and Reggie Bullock may actually be better. You know, like, that's not what people were saying. The worry is the long term, um, because Blake Griffin is owed a ton of money, and there's injury. There's injury problems. And the worry is he's going to continually be hurt. He's never going to play enough to really make the get the Pistons over the hump. And because they're and they're locked into him now. And I think sort of not just necessarily with Blake Griffin, but it's also the sort of bigger picture, I think, for a lot of the people who didn't like the trade, from the Pistons side at least, is that they're locked in now. Um, some of the peripheral peripherals. <laughs> Some of the sort of outline pieces can change, but with those contracts of Drummond and Griffin, the Pistons are locked in to winning now. They are, um, you know, there's talk that, and it's something I brought up, that if the Pistons wanted to, if it didn't work out this season, they could have, with the way the contracts were set up, even their bad contracts, they could have restarted, essentially, after this season. Um, probably would have kept Andre Drummond, but they could have pretty much restarted with Andre Drummond, you know, traded off a bunch of pieces, let some people go, and restarted with Andre Drummond. They could have done that this offseason. Now, that's not an option. Just, that's the reality. And so, I think within that, a lot of the same people who are concerned or not a fan of the trade, they would have been equally concerned if this offseason the Pistons had paid Avery Bradley a long-term contract, even if it wasn't a huge one. So, let's just say, like, it's not even, you know, I mean, because obviously the way he'd played, this year would be worrying to give him a really big contract, but let's just say they gave him a not absurd contract. They gave him, you know, a contract that's, you know, four years at $14 million a year or something like that, which would be fairly reasonable, I think. Although, then again, Lou Williams just signed for like $8 million a year, which is, I don't know, that's a, that's a strange one. He's kind of a strange one, but that's another thing, All right? Whatever the number may be, they give him a reasonable contract, but it's long-term. And at the same time, they extend Tobias Harris long-term. Once again, on a contract that we'll just say it's reasonable. It's not a terrible contract, but it's long-term. And that essentially they locked in to this team. This is the team they think can win. I think a lot of the same people who were who are hesitant or unsure about this Blake Griffin trade would have been just as hesitant and unsure about paying those guys and locking in long-term. And I think that that's sort of a bigger picture thing is that a lot of the people who are against the Blake Griffin trade are people who think or thought more or less that this team isn't good enough to win. And that's not something that's an unfair thing to say. So it's just, it's just once again, I really like the trade. I disagree with the people who think that, oh, this is such a huge risk. This is a big problem. This was a stupid move, et cetera, et cetera. I completely disagree with that line of thought. But the criticism some people are making, they're being all smug like Herka Durka. They've won four in a row with Blake. Don't you people feel stupid, huh? Like that's that's not at all that's not the reason why those people didn't like the trade, by and large. I mean, if you if you said, Oh, they're gonna be worse now than they were before, then I mean <laughs> then okay, you're open to criticism and I'm not gonna defend you. But don't go after people who said they didn't like the trade because they're paying Blake Griffin a ton of money and he has injury problems because after four games, Blake Griffin's been good, and they've beat four teams 
when the schedule's been pretty beneficial to the Pistons. So that's all I'm going to say about that, I guess. But, yeah. Um, I guess sort sort of bigger picture with um, with this move is the first thing I'd like to talk about is that um, a lot of people have questioned how well are Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin going to fit. Uh, I think that we can say, and it's been more or less backed up so far, but I would say with some confidence they're going to fit just fine long term. Um, with Griffin and Jordan on the in DeAndre Jordan on the floor together this year, the Clippers had an offensive rating of almost 109 points per 100 possessions, which is really really good. And so, and once again, that's this year. So you can't even say, well, they had Chris Paul and that made it work. Like this year, the Clippers, I mean, particularly, like remember, Patrick Beverly got hurt very early. Lou Williams can score, but he's not really a point guard. Like they've been running out a lot of not very good point guards this year, and they still were, and they still had a great offense with those two on the floor. Um, once again, Lou Williams helps that. He's played really well. They've got some other guys who can play, but. If you can build a really good offense with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, you absolutely can do it with Andre Drummond and Jordan's space because Andre Drummond is a much better offensive player than DeAndre Jordan. He's he's similarly threatening as a lob threat, you know, in the pick and roll, but he's a better finisher around the hoop in that he's able to do it in more creative ways than just dunking. Um, if DeAndre Jordan is DeAndre Jordan remains a guy who pretty much, if he can't touch the net from where he's standing, you don't want him to shoot it, right? Like, even though he doesn't, obviously, he doesn't dunk every single time he scores, but pretty much every time he scores, it is right at the hoop. Drummond is able to do a little bit more. He can finish with actual layups. He's got a little floater, which may or may not be something he tries to do, but because it's not always good, but basically, he's a better finisher around the hoop. He can finish more shots around the hoop, and Drummond is a way, 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 way better passer and ball handler than Jordan ever has been. So if you can do it with DeAndre Jordan, you can absolutely do it with Andre Drummond. Um, The trick is going to be first off defensively, is that Blake Griffin, I've actually been mostly impressed with his defense since he's arrived with the Pistons. In particular, he's a really good communicator. Uh, He's always talking to people. He's always communicating, which I like a lot. And, uh, but DeAndre Jordan has been a better defender than Andre Drummond is. Now, Drummond is starting to put it together. There's no doubt about that. He's really improved this year. He's continued to improve. He's been great over the last, you know, handful of games. But that is something that's a worry, uh, because Blake Griffin is not a great defender. And it will be tricky to get the rest of the lineup set. And that's where the question is going to be. It is not going to be, can we find... Can you build a workable lineup with Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin on the floor? The answer to that is absolutely. The question is going to be, can the Pistons, given the constraints of everything, build an effective, build effective lineups with those two on the floor? Um, because even though Griffin has enough ball handling and scoring skills and passing skills and such, that he can work with Drummond even though he's not a very good shooter. But with those two as your front court, it becomes harder to have, for instance, Stanley Johnson out on the floor because there's a certain breaking point, I suppose you could say, where it's like, you know, <laughs> where it's like it doesn't matter how good the ball handlers and scores are. If they can't shoot, you're just going to strangle your offense. 
And for what it's worth, and this has been kind of um, mind-boggling, but their starting lineup with uh, Ish Smith, Reggie Bullock, Stanley Johnson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, over the four games has been awesome, which is honestly kind of hysterical to me because <laughs> there's there's no reason that it should that that should work even a little bit, but it has so far. We'll see if that holds up. But basically, two man lineup with Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin are on the floor. In 84 minutes, over four games, the Pistons have an offensive efficiency of 112.6 points per 100 possessions and a defensive efficiency of 88.2 points allowed per 100 possessions for a net rating of plus 24.4. That's really good. It will not stay that good, obviously, but it's already showing they can work together. I think that's going to stick up for the long term, more or less. The trick is going to be finding the right combination of perimeter talent where, and once again, we'll just use Stanley Johnson because on the roster right now, he's the one that's the question is that um, could they, can he do enough offensively to make it work even though he doesn't shoot, he can't shoot threes? And then the other question would be, could they survive defensively by putting, you know, Luke Kennard or Langston Galloway or, you know, some free agent or trade or whatever it would be? someone else in the starting lineup for him to give more shooting, could they manage that defensively? And that's basically what the challenge is going to be, is that it's going to be harder to find got to use guys that are not two-way players, essentially, um, with Drummond and Griffin on the floor. They, it's Yeah, that's really it, I think. I think that's the best way to put it. It's harder to have guys who are not two-way players with those two on the floor. And if you can f- get two-way players, it should work fine. But it's going to be harder to do it. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. So, um, sort of going away from the sort of macro long-term, let's just look at this winning streak and see um, what things are, I think, at least going to be good long-term and what things are maybe questionable. So, first off, I've already said this, Drummond and Griffin, I just read off the numbers. They've been awesome when they're on the floor together. I think that's more or less going to hold up. They won't be as awesome as they have been, but that's going to hold up. I think they're going to work just fine going forwards. Um, the other, the thing that I kind of touched on a moment ago is that the starting lineup is... It's kind of breaking my basketball brain, to be completely honest. Uh, so once again, the starting lineup over that time has been Ish Smith, Reggie Bullock, Stanley Johnson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. Ish Smith and Andre Drummond are literally non-shooters. Stanley Johnson and Blake Griffin shoot a little bit, but they're bad shooters. Reggie Bullock is a really good shooter. And it's also, I mean, Reggie Bullock's a pretty good defender. Ish Smith is okay. But it's just like, that lineup has scored 104 points per 100 possessions and allowed 89 per 100 possessions. That's a net rating of 15. And I just... It's kind of dumbfounding to me that that lineup is working, to be honest, because <laughs> if you said this is how many shooters you have on the floor, I would honestly, I'd be tempted to say, I don't care who else, who's your, how good your ball handling is and such, that's not enough spacing. You're going to strangle your offense, but it's worked. Um, the one thing that lends itself to that it may be a little bit more viable long-term is that... Um, is that uh, 
is that they've done it mostly with defense. Like, that's a decent offensive rating, 104.2, but that's not anything special. The defensive rating is what's really good. And that won't sustain. The defensive rating will get worse as um, as they play that more. But I do think that... Um, but I, that's a lineup. So you look at Ishmith, pretty good defender. Stanley Johnson, really good defender. Reggie Bullock, pretty good defender. Blake Griffin, pretty good defender. Andre Drummond, very good defender. Uh, you could maybe get by with that by just scraping out offensive possessions and playing defense like crazy. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Um, I'm not totally sure on how it will work. I'm a little questionable of that. But the good news is, in theory, once Reggie Jackson comes back and you insert him over Ish Smith in that point, uh, it will make things much much smoother overall. Uh, because obviously him replacing Ish Smith is the I mean, Ish Smith is the biggest drag to the spacing. Because he doesn't shoot threes at all. He's not just a bad three-point shooter. He ne- he just doesn't shoot them. And he's the most useless guy inside since he's so small. So, yeah. Um, the next thing to look at would be Stanley Johnson's play. Holy smokes. It's been incredible. Over the last five games, we're including the game after the trade was made before Blake Griffin arrived. Stanley Johnson is scoring 16 points per game with 5.2 rebounds, 2.8 assists, over a steal per game as well. He's playing 36 minutes a game, um, shooting 45.6% from the field, only 25% from three. Uh, he's he's shooting almost four free throws per game. He's been really, really good. And I'm going to lean towards that that's something that can sustain. Uh, I'd be surprised if he continues to score quite that many points. Uh, just, I just, just cause I, I would be, but I think that he really has started to figure it out. Um, he sort of realized that he can just bully his way to the hoop whenever he pleases and he draws fouls when he gets down there and he's finishing. Um, it's kind of something that I, and I'm not alone in this. There's other people too, but like from his rookie season, it was something that I sort of urged for wanting him to do is that. Just put your head down and go to the hoop every possession. I don't care. You'll you'll have some turnovers. You'll get some offensive fouls, but just do it. And it's really worked out well. Um, the one thing that I've seen some people bring up that I kind of would go back against is some people have questioned um, whether or not he can stay as effective once Reggie Jackson comes back. And I'm actually going to say that's not going to be a worry. Because the reality is, and this is one thing that's always been a little bit confusing to me, is I'm not sure why people get it in their head that Ish Smith is like a way lower, is a way less ball-dominant player than Reggie Jackson, especially this year. No, Reggie Jackson is more ball-dominant. He's a more of a scorer than Ish Smith is, obviously. But in these five games, Ish Smith is taking almost 13 shots per game. He's scoring almost 16 points per game. Um, that's one thing, by the way, to watch with the this play holding up as a team is that Ishmith is not going to keep up that efficiency. We already know this. We've seen this. You know, we've we've seen this show before. He's not going to keep that up. But Ishmith is not. You know, he's not a to- he's not a guy who just doesn't have the ball in his hands and never takes shots. He has the ball in his hands a lot. He takes plenty of shots. So I mean, Stanley Johnson might have one less, one or two less possessions per game with Reggie Jackson back. 
But that wouldn't be a huge, that's not going to be a huge shakeup, I don't think, to be honest. So I'm going to lean towards that that's a sustainable thing for Stanley Johnson, that he can keep it up and it's going to work. Um, which if it does, that would be huge. Obviously, it's, it's still really important that he figures out how to shoot threes at at least something close to league average. But for now, we'll live with it. I mean, we'll take this improvement. And he's obviously, he's still destroying people on defense. Um, the one thing in this stretch that I'm not sure about long term, and this is the reason why I think it wouldn't be a bad idea for them to maybe look at picking up um, whether as a cheap trade p- tr- trade or maybe even on the buyout market or whatever, uh, would be another forward, is um, partic- someone who could play power forward, is that Anthony Tolliver is having to play almost 30 minutes a night because of the fact... Now, once again, I really like um, the basic idea that Stan Van Gundy is going with the, with the rotation. There's staggering Drummond and Griffin so that one of them is always on the floor. I like playing. That's like that's a huge thing. I'm thrilled that they are doing that. And I also like that they're using Blake Griffin at the backup five minutes. I really like both of those. The problem is that Anthony Tolliver is not a young man. And the times where he's struggled have generally been where he just sort of wears down because he plays too many minutes. And that's the thing that worries me a little bit is he's playing almost 30 minutes a game with this structure, because, once again, you're staggering Drummond and Griffin, and Griffin is playing the backup five minutes. That means that that Tolliver is doing his normal minutes as the backup four, but he's also essentially taken on a fair amount of starting four minutes as well. And that's why I wouldn't mind if they, just someone on the cheap who they could play a little bit. I don't know who it would be exactly. Um, maybe they could. you could snag Ersan Ilyasova for the cheap, potentially. Um, but I don't know for sure who it would be, but I wouldn't mind them adding someone else just so they're not putting quite as much pressure on Anthony Tolliver. And then sort of connected to that is that the Pistons have been playing pretty much an eight-man rotation. And, I mean, I think that once Reggie Jackson comes back, that will help that. Um, Then you can move Kennard back to playing small forward minutes, Galloway back to playing shooting guard minutes. And um, then Ish is obviously back at point guard, which will help. And uh, then you're at nine. I just, I just hope that the, he doesn't run guys into the ground. Um, don't. I, I hope he's not afraid to open it up a little bit. Um, I'm curious to see if Willie Reed is going to get minutes once his suspension is over. Um, because once again, Stanford Gundy said at the opening press conference, he's like, "We're going to use Blake at the back of five minutes." And so maybe they have no intention of playing Willie Reed in those minutes, but I just, I basically, I'd be open to having a couple stretches per game where you add in those other other guys just so that you're not playing everyone quite so many minutes. That's something I'd be okay with. Um, the last thing that I'd sort of like to touch on is that with the closing minutes of games, um, and it's worked so far, so I'm not going to rag on it too much, but if you're going to go with the offensive strategy of we're going to just isolate Blake literally every single possession, I I would just assume not have Ishmith on the floor at that point. Just, you know, just simply put, I would assume, I would rather have that. Um, He just, because, all right, if you want to run like a greater offense, 
obviously, I've never made it a secret. I kind of think in a close game, you shouldn't have Ishmith on the floor at all. Um, he just he he slaughters your offense in the late late in the game because you can't get out in transition really. But if you want to run a real offense and do stuff and you want his ball handling out there, I get it. I'll roll with it. But if you're going to so blatantly have no interest in doing that, which they were last night, there was there was every one of those closing possessions. Like they gave Blake Griffin the ball as he crossed half court. There was no interest in doing anything other than give the ball to Blake Griffin and let him do something. If you're going to do that, just put in a shooter. I mean, it's just, once again, it worked out last night. It worked out in the Miami game. If Smith hit a clutch three um, in the game against the Nets last night, or I guess when this comes out two nights ago, um, he he made a nice cut into the middle because no one was guarding him, and Griffin found him, which worked well. But I just, if you're if that's what you're going to do, then just let him, they'll just put in a shooter. It's just going to work better that way, I think. Um, but for the most part, it's worked with them on the floor, so somehow. Um, and then here's the other thing to mention with this streak. So in the five games since the trade, so obviously Blake Griffin has been very good. He's scoring 21.5 points, 7.8 rebounds, 6.3 assists, with under two turnovers, which is excellent. He's shooting pretty well from the field, not great, but he's drawing tons of fouls, shooting almost six, shooting actually exactly six free throws per game. Andre Drummond in this stretch, 18.4 points, 20.2 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 2.8 steals, 2.6 blocks per game. Holy crap, that dude is enjoying this. And um, I think that he is the biggest beneficiary of Blake Griffin's arrival. I think Stanley Johnson figuring out that he should just attack the paint every single position has really helped him. Um, And I'm thrilled with the way he's been playing. And, yeah, so that's kind of it, I think. How far am I at? I'm at, I'm over 30 minutes, just went over. So um, I'm really, I'm just, I'm really pleased with the way it's been going. I think the Pistons can make a real run into the playoffs, and if Reggie Jackson comes back healthy, and that is a big if, that is needed for this, if he does, the Pistons could be one of the more terrifying low seeds in the Eastern Conference in some time. And, yeah, so that's all for today. Um, Stay beautiful, everybody. And, once again, I'm back from Florida, so we should be able to do this all regularly again and such. So, yeah, stay beautiful. Go Pistons.